Well, hi there, fanatical elves, and also people from around the NFL. Super Bowl 58 is over. It's in the history books. What happened? Uh, it's something that after the game was over, people started to take it apart and analyze it, and they realized that the last sequence in overtime really was packed with meaning and controversy, even though the announcers, uh, Jim Nance and, and Tony Romo, they did an excellent job, but they didn't really highlight the controversy at the time. It was just something that came to light afterwards, and I'm going to talk about that in today's show. Uh, this is The Oracle Speaks. I am the Village Elliot, and let me turn down the music for you. Love that music, by the way. It's from Freesound Music. It's on a voluntary contribution basis. I'm happy to support them. They do a great job for us day in, day out. It's just really terrific. Um, okay, let me also tweak the sound up a little bit. When the music is gone, I can do a better job on the sound. And so reduce the microphone noise and automatically adjust the microphone volume. Okay, I think that's probably going to be better now. And, um, yeah, so, you know, the the uh, upshot is is that after the overtime was over, some of the, the geeks, the rules geeks, I guess, and the analytics people started to get together and realize that there was something fundamentally wrong, at least in their opinion, about the way that Shanahan... Um, blew the overtime call something pretty simple you know coin flip i guess that's how they decided he won the flip and he made the wrong decision let's talk about that i have a powerpoint as i usually do for those who have video and i'm going to share a screen and find a window that has the powerpoint and there it is and we're going to go to the first slide from the beginning. There it is. Okay, so what was wrong with taking the kickoff? That seems like a natural thing to do. You do that during the regular season all the time. Well, the difference is, is that in this Super Bowl, they had kind of a different rule that if you scored a touchdown, the other team still gets to have a chance to score their touchdown or they will get at least to have a chance to have the ball that normally if you score a touchdown the game is over but that's not the case here so let's that has some profound implications people start to realize okay um and actually the rule did not come into play in the super bowl because san francisco did not in fact score a touchdown they scored a field goal Nevertheless, because they scored a field goal that forced the Chiefs to always go for it on fourth down. In other words, if, if they had tried to punt, that would be the end of the game. Uh, there is no tomorrow uh, in the overtime period. You have to score on your possession or you're done. So that meant that the, the Chiefs are going to try to to uh, to make good on fourth down if fourth down ever comes up all the time no punts basically no punts if you're the second team up and the first team has 
scored, okay? That's the thing that's so significant. And people are thinking, well, wait a minute, uh, Coach Shanahan, did you really mean to put the Chiefs in the position of giving Patrick Mahomes four shots at a first down every time uh, up and down the field? That's the best way for him to score a touchdown. And that's true. So, therefore, if you listen to the critics, Shanahan made this terrible blunder, and maybe he did. But uh, I think there's more to it than that. Let's unpack it even further, shall we? And uh, first of all, let's also ask this question. is you know Why is Shanahan dumb for making Mahomes go for it on fourth down, but coaches like Brandon Staley and Dan Campbell are idiots for going for it on fourth down? We've been through that. Uh, those guys took all kinds of grief, uh, especially, you know, the uh, two weeks ago, Dan Campbell, coach of the Detroit Lions, did that all season long, and uh, he got all kinds of grief because he did that against San Francisco with a lead. Um, but this may not be as simple of a problem, again, as the critics want it to be. All right. Um, let's talk about First of all, why the situation is different. Over time, there's no tomorrow. Like we said before, the opponent's field position does not matter. Uh, you know, game's over if you don't score. So that changes things, and you're not going to worry about, you know, taking, a, you know, fourth down on the 20-yard line, um, on your own 20-yard line, and you've got fourth down and one. You go for it because you have to. and in a game in which you are not playing for just one score, you have to worry about the other team scoring another touchdown um, off of the field position that you're going to leave for them. But that doesn't matter in overtime. Okay, so you know the opponent doesn't score two touchdowns. One is the only uh, one that they can uh, get in this case. If it's game's over if you don't score. So um, the Chiefs have no punt option, and they go for it on all plays. Now, Campbell, let's talk about Campbell. His call makes sense if he absolutely did not trust his defense against the 49ers. If he trusts his offense and believes that his offense is going to make it on fourth down, but he also believes that his defense is going to have trouble holding that super potent San Francisco 49er offense, then he's going to go for it on fourth down, even with the lead. So my question to you, fans, fanatical elves, for those who are Browns fans and just all NFL fans, really, what would you do? Are you going to trust your defense that has been really, well, let's face it, not very good all year long for Detroit, and you're going to trust them to really hold the San Francisco 49ers offense. Um, I don't know that that makes any sense. I think that when you've got a superior offense and an inferior defense against you know, what is probably the number one offense in the NFL, why would you trust your defense to be able to stop the number one offense in the NFL? Heck no. You trust your offense uh, to make that first down, extend the drive to wear down the 49ers defense so that you can continue scoring and dominate on offense. That does make sense. I believe that Coach Campbell made 
either the correct call or something that was very nearly the correct call. It made perfect sense to me. You know, we, we can get a computer and figure out whether it was truly the right call or whether it was close, but it was not far wrong. Let's put it that way. It was not far wrong. Um, I really support the coach on that call. Um, now, also, Brandon Staley used to be the coach of the San Diego uh, Chargers or now the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, he used to kind of baffle everybody, including me, because he would try to make fourth downs from inside his own territory where the failure to make that would grant the, the other team tremendous field position. And that one is a bit of a head scratcher. Now, he may be right. We have to listen to what his logic is. But the only reason why that would make sense is if he really, really trusts his offense and his quarterback, and he had a really good quarterback, let's face it. <clears throat> but he has to trust the offense and believe that there's an overwhelmingly certain chance of making a first down because the penalty of losing is that you're almost for sure going to let your opponent score against you if you don't make that first down. So that's the proposition that Staley was uh, offering, and I'm not sure, I, I don't have much confidence in his uh, judgment on that point. I really don't understand it, but I did feel like I understood Campbell's point uh, very, very well. Uh, Staley, I'm not quite willing to slam the door on and say that there's no sense in it, um, but I, I can see that there's a set of circumstances where if you really trusted your quarterback and you really believed in your offense, uh, there might be a, um, you know, some probability space out there somewhere where that was a good play or a good call. All right. So uh, fourth, that's the difference on fourth down, though. In the Chiefs game, there is no field position argument. They had to go on fourth down because there was no choice due to the rule that they were given in the sudden death overtime, nearly sudden death overtime. All right, I like to pause now. We always make a charity announcement, and I thought it'd be appropriate to announce uh, or describe some charities that Taylor Swift has given to over the years. Um, and recently, she's given money to help Tennessee communities ravaged by Tennessee tornadoes. You might have heard about that. Our own Steve Gill is a resident of that beautiful state, and uh, she donated a million dollars to help those communities. And uh, people who hate Taylor Swift will probably find something wrong with that, but that's what she did. She donated to the Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee. Uh, they have a website, which I've posted on the bottom here, and you can give money uh, to that uh, organization as well to help people recover from that tornado. It will be a process, not an event, to rebuild a community after having had a tornado. We've had tornadoes in our community in Ohio as well. Xenia, Ohio has had two tornadoes in my lifetime. In fact, one tornado uh, damaged the roof in my house. That was pretty scary. So I'm, I'm all about tornadoes. Uh, Taylor Swift also donated to the Country Music Hall of Fame and established the Taylor Swift Education Center. Country music, man, I really like country music. You know, I always play uh, rock and roll for the introduction of uh, the uh, show, but I like country music just fine. I'm really a country western person, and uh, I think it's awesome that Taylor Swift has 
established a education center and you can donate to the country music hall of fame as well that's it's a worthwhile thing love music okay and okay i just did that to make people mad people hate kansas city people hate taylor swift darn that taylor swift and we'll take a break now for our commercial sponsors Johnny Cleveland has got some commercial sponsors lined up for some of our uh, platforms that carry the show. Thank you to them. Thank you also to the fans that have supported us. And I'll pause for about five seconds. Okay, and I'm back. That was five seconds for most of us, although on some platforms there were a couple or three commercials out there that helped us to pay the rent. I will mention, by the way, that I called this game exactly right. If you paid attention to my show um, about the Super Bowl, I said that I thought that it was worthwhile to bet the uh, money line on Kansas City because uh, Shanahan had a history of doing whatever is necessary in order to lose a big game, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, so I made money on that. That was my biggest uh, – excuse me, that was not my biggest bet. That was the smaller of two – um bets that i made the other bet was that i believed that it would be a defensive game and i recommended taking the under or i didn't recommend it but that's what i did for myself i bet the under uh wasn't expecting to have an overtime period but in any case uh, by half a point i made out on that so i won on both of those super bowl predictions that put me uh over um it put me back into profitability for the season, which is almost impossible to do in the NFL. I don't recommend it. I don't necessarily believe that I'll be able to do it uh, next year. But this year, I actually did make a little bit of money betting on the NFL. So hooray for me. But anyway, okay, so here we are um, back to the 49ers and Shanahan. Now, the assumption on the part of the critics, you know, all of us uh, smart Alex that think we understand the rules better than the coach, we believe that, or most of this community, I should say, believe that Shanahan simply didn't understand the implications of the overtime rules, didn't take into account the fact that he was giving four chances to Mahomes to uh, score on his defense. But I'm not 100% sure that that's true. It might be true, but let's think about this a little bit more. Maybe, maybe Shanahan believed in Christian McCaffrey. Remember, he's the best running back in the NFL. And uh, in a, as the game progresses, the tired offense almost always has an advantage over the tired defense. And if you look at the yards per carry average, uh, for the great running backs, they always increase or almost always increase as the game goes on. In the fourth quarter, these guys are getting five, six, seven yards per carry. <clears throat> and so he might have believed that Christian McCaffrey was going to really help them to score a touchdown. He might have really believed that he could score a touchdown on that opening drive. And then if that's true, then it doesn't matter uh, so much about the the um, having uh, Patrick Mahomes go for four downs or whatever at the end of it all, the worst that can happen is that the game would be tied. Okay. Unless of course they go for a two point conversion, but okay. 
let's think about this some more. What if they had done what the critics wanted and say, and Shanahan says, well, okay, I'm going to play defense. I'm going to play defense. And uh, I'll take on Mahomes now, take my medicine now, and then I'll play offense second. So what he's going to do in that case, he's going to let the Kansas City defense rest and regain their strength, right? Because they're all tired out. And now his tired San Francisco defense is going to try to stop Mahomes and company on the first overtime series. That might not be so smart either. I don't know that San Francisco can stop Mahomes and, uh, you know, Pacheco and all those guys when they're tired out. Is San Francisco really going to be able to stop them uh, right out of the shoot? I don't know that they do. And meanwhile, you know, if, if they have a long drive, Kansas City's defense is going to rest and become much better again and able to clobber uh, the San Francisco offense. I don't know that that's really such a smart idea. It is a great idea if you're doing it on computer and your players don't get tired, all right? If you don't have the problem of your offense being more effective than your defense due to battle fatigue. But it's a real thing that the defenses, you know, those guys are bigger, consume more energy than the offense. And um, the defenses get tired out at the end of the game. They just do. That's a, that's a fact. And I'm not sure that it's such a smart idea to put your tired defense against Patrick Mahomes um, in the first uh, series of overtime. That doesn't necessarily make so much sense. I think people would be carping all over uh, Shanahan for doing that because he'd probably get scored on right away and then he'd get shut down by the rejuvenated Kansas City defense that has time to rest on the sideline. So here again, what does he trust? Does he trust his offense more than his defense or does he trust the defense? Which would you trust? They're both pretty good, but I think he trusts his offense more than the defense. So that's what he did. I mm, even you know after, it, it might be that he really didn't understand the implications of the overtime rules. Um, the critics might be right about that. I'm not sure. I'm not convinced. But even you know, uh, I think if he did understand it, and I I would guess he probably did. Uh, it just made more sense to go with the offense rather than the defense in that situation um let's let the other defense be tired out not our defense be tired out yeah so i i can see the i can see the logic in doing what he did even knowing that mahomes is going to come at you with uh you know everything is four down territory hmm well never mind doesn't matter what i think the result in the media, in the court of public opinion, is that we're going to fire the coach and we want a new quarterback. Okay, Mahomes was just so good and he was better than Brock Purdy. So San Francisco deserves a new quarterback. Kansas City is a very easy team to beat, and so Shanahan ought to have been able to beat them. Fire Shanahan. He didn't do what he should have done. 
And uh, we're, you know, us San Francisco 49er nation doesn't want to have any more boring quarterbacks. We want excitement. And uh, so we want to draft a new quarterback this year and, um, you know, start over. I, you know, you can just hear that, that crescendo building. And probably it's not so much on Brock Purdy, but definitely Shanahan is taking all kinds of heat for, um, you know, his uh, blunders more or less. And there's other blunders also that he was criticized for, that he didn't manage the clock right at the end of the first half, should have tried to score more, and uh, wasn't aggressive enough. You know, what does aggressive mean? It means you're going to take risks. Should have taken more risks with a lead. Exactly the same thing that they criticized uh, Dan Campbell for uh, in reverse. You know, Dan Campbell took too many risks with uh, with a lead, and uh, we think that uh, Shanahan didn't take enough. And it just matters that you know because they both lost, they're both wrong no matter what they did. Um, but I, I found this very interesting post from uh, Akash. Uh, Anna Varathan. I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Akash. And um, he points out that Andy Reid had a similar problem in Philadelphia. He was a coach that couldn't win the big one. And uh, he got the team into the championship game uh, three years in a row. And then the fourth year, he made it to the Super Bowl and lost it. So uh, they had no choice but to get rid of incompetent Andy Reid in Philadelphia. They just couldn't couldn't stand the guy. He had to he had to go. Who wants Andy Reid to be the coach when he keeps on losing big games? And surely any other coach in the uh, NFL would be better than Andy Reid. And you know his record looks a lot like Kyle Shanahan's. You know, got some bad losses. And um, Shanahan is still a relatively young man. It took uh, Reed 15 years to get over the hump and win a Super Bowl. How about that? Whoo! That's kind of <laughs> that's kind of mind-boggling. But Andy Reed, you know, people now believe that he is a surefire Hall of Fame coach, and uh, he just spent a lot of time losing and losing and losing and losing. What it amounts to is that, you know, there's only one winner of the Super Bowl. There's a lot of really talented coaches and players out there. If you read the media, it's, it sounds like there's like five teams that win the Super Bowl every year. Uh, well, that's not true. There's only one. There's a lot of good coaches, a lot of good players that don't quite make it. That's just the way that life is. Um, so good on Kansas City for winning. I'm not sure that San Francisco really made the blunders that they're accused of. Um, I'll have to think a little bit about the clock management in the first half and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm not convinced that the overtime decision by Kyle Shanahan was as bad as people are uh, complaining or they're, they're saying they didn't know the rules and so forth and so on. Uh, that's possible, but really, if you look at it objectively, there are some really good reasons why you might uh, have done it that way, knowing full well what the consequences were and facing uh, Mahomes in four-down territory the whole way. It, if you thought that you were going to score a touchdown, um, the whole thing would have been bearable. But you didn't score a touchdown. Scoring only a field goal was bad. Um, it was a more serious problem 
perhaps than was appreciated at the time. And uh, we didn't really appreciate the, you know, the announcers didn't really prime us for, you know, here comes Patrick Mahomes and he's going to be four down territory the whole way for this drive. We did, they didn't really coach us for that, you know, to expect that he was really going to have a great chance of scoring a touchdown. But, um, but that's the way it turned out. And, of course, since they won the game, uh, that means that uh, it's all Shanahan's fault. Oh, and, and Brock Purdy's fault, too. Uh, since I'm a Browns uh, guy, I had to also mention the fact that in addition to Shanahan being uh, the antichrist of uh, play calling, uh, Stefanski has also been the co-antichrist of play calling at different points in his career. This really heated up uh, two years ago because there was all kinds of fan support for Cade York. Um, and people were calling him the next Justin Tucker, which just really made me want to, you know, I mean, I'm nothing against Cade York, but it was just so premature to call anybody that Justin Tucker is a future Hall of Famer. I hate Baltimore Ravens, but I have to, you know, give, you know, respect to the individuals that have accomplished so much on that team like Justin Tucker. Um, but anyway, you know, the fans believe that Cade York was automatically going to be able to kick field goals from 60 yards out. And really, they had a faulty estimate of how ready Cade was in order to be that kicker. Uh, the Browns special team scouts also made that mistake. But if you just look at his record, you know, and, you know, and the thing was that, oh, we just need to get him to have confidence and he'll be fine. It had nothing to do with confidence. He was a very confident young man, but he did not have statistically great accuracy in college either. He was, you know, pretty good, but he wasn't fantastic. And remember, the goalposts are closer together in the pros. And so if you're going to want to have that kind of uh, really fantastic accuracy at the NFL level, uh, you have to be really good in college, really good in college uh, in order to be able to kick field goals in the NFL. So lo and behold, the Browns got Dustin Hopkins, who is a true NFL kicker, and Stefanski started calling for field goals. How about that, Woody? And, yeah, they won some games, won about four games with last, uh, last minute or last second field goals by the field goal kicker. So it, it wasn't um, just that Stefanski didn't know how to make uh, the call. He had to have the right person in order to make those calls. Nevertheless, a lot of Browns fans want to fire him, even though he's a two-time coach of the year. Or my favorite ploy is giving the offensive coordinator more authority than the head coach. That is a perfect recipe for an ethnic fire drill. Uh, you can't have people that work under you have more authority than you do. That's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. Um, that's like having, a, having a, a lieutenant that has more authority than a colonel. You just can't do that. Um, anybody who's been in the military will tell you that an organization cannot run when you're giving more authority to people with lower rank. It doesn't make sense. The coach has to be responsible for the entire operation. If he wants to delegate the play calling, that's fine, but it should be the 
coach's decision, not the offensive coordinator's decision. Good grief. All right. So conclusions. Game theory teaches us, and by that I mean, you know, figuring out the strategy of how to play this game, uh, it teaches that there are definite drawbacks the way that the overtime rules have been drawn up uh, if your team elects to receive the kickoff. And namely, uh, when that happens, you're setting up the situation that if you score, the other team has a pretty decent chance of scoring because they're going to go for it on fourth down uh, every time until they do make the score to either tie the game or uh, go ahead. Um, now, this was not obvious at the time. Uh, the announcers, at least the, the announcers that I was listening to, uh, Jim Nance and Tony Romo, did not necessarily pounce over uh, Shanahan's decision. Oh, my God, you, you know, you never receive in a Super Bowl overtime. What a terrible decision. They didn't really say it that way. But after a few hours of pondering, you know, critics like me uh, made clear their verdict that this was a terrible blunder and that Shanahan should never have made that decision in a Super Bowl overtime. It was totally wrong. Now, and in the future, somebody may make the same decision that Shanahan did, and it may work out in their favor, and everybody will say that they're a genius. But for now, uh, Shanahan is a, you know, well, whatever you want to call him, something bad. Um, and, uh, you know, in his defense, I believe that there are mitigating factors that favor getting the ball first, and namely... I don't know that they uh, wanted to give Kansas City's defense an automatic rest period and then have to go out and score against them. I don't know that that's a really good idea. I also think that because they had the best running back in the NFL, they had a really excellent chance of being able to score a touchdown. Um, you know, Brock Purdy being able to move the ball with a short passing game, they could have um, – I think that the coach had confidence in them that they would score a touchdown. It just didn't happen for them. And if they had scored that touchdown, then it would be less significant that, um, you know, Mahomes was going to be able to come back and uh, tie the game theoretically with a touchdown of his own. And then San Francisco would get the ball again. And in that case, a field goal would win it. So, uh, it's not crazy. It's not crazy uh, to do that. So, you know, after all is said and all is done, I think I tend to side with the critics in that uh, I would probably, under most circumstances, prefer to kick off. But I think, you know, again, I would leave the door open that there are some team-specific factors that might cause the coach to go opposite from the way that the conventional uh, textbook would suggest. It's not in any case a guaranteed slam dunk just because you uh, elect to kick off rather than receive. So anyhow, I do rate the critics as having a valid point. I think that they did some good analysis. I'll give them a plus two point favorite over uh, Shanahan, but I'm not making them a full touchdown. I think Shanahan is still in it. I hope that uh, that the uh, ownership will back the coach and not listen to the criticism. I think that uh, 
Shanahan can probably defend his play calls or his decisions, his game strategies. And I, I think that it is not crazy what he did. So may not have been the right decision, but it was not far wrong. Just like Dan Campbell the previous week, uh, who uh, went for it on fourth down and didn't make it, that was not far wrong. It may not have been the best decision, but it was pretty close to being right. Maybe, maybe in fact, it was the right decision. So, okay. Um, that's what we got today after the Super Bowl and having had some time to digest it again, you know, for the year in the NFL, um, I don't know if I've ever had a year where I actually made money on, well, I haven't bet that much really. They haven't been around that long. So um, I did make about 8% return on all the bets that I made with uh, my betting service. I don't know that I'll be able to do that again next year, um, but we'll see. I had fun the whole year. Hope you did too. Now it's the off season. I think this is going to be a bitterly fought off season. We're going to have to figure out new ways for the Browns to create some cap space that have never been uh, used before, at least not by the Browns uh, in, in recent history, or let's say since uh, 1999, we haven't had this kind of uh, cap problem like we do now. So we'll see how the Browns get through it see if they can sign some free agents despite the the um, apparent lack of funds at the moment. I think there are steps they can do to remedy the situation. They won't be pleasant. They won't be able to keep all the players that they want. We'll talk about that the whole offseason, talk about the NFL draft and all kinds of cool stuff. Thank you so much for listening in. appreciate you so much. Take care. Go Browns. <laughs>